I'm Joshua Kagi from The Christian Citizen, and this is episode 35 of Justice, Mercy, Faith. Today, the Reverend Dr. Deborah Jackson, Director of Operations for All Girls Allowed, a faith-based nonprofit that restores life, value, and dignity by empowering and educating women, girls, and engaging outreach partners for global impact, joins the podcast for a conversation with Christian Citizen Editor Curtis Ramsey Lucas on the work of her organization and her hope that the United States would continue to allow our constitutional framework to expand until we reach that perfect union where all people are recognized as created equal. Here now is Curtis Ramsey Lucas with Reverend Dr. Deborah Jackson. The Reverend Dr. Deborah Jackson is the Director of Operations for All Girls Allowed. She's also a regular contributor to The Christian Citizen. Her latest article, Constitutional Hermeneutics, is available at christiancitizen.us. And her book, Meant for Good, Fundamentals in Womanist Leadership, is available from Judson Press. Welcome to the podcast, Deborah. It's good to have you with us today. Thank you, Curtis. It's good to be with you. So before we get to the article, I wanted to talk a little bit with you about All Girls Allowed. Tell us a little bit about the mission and vision of the organization. Well, thank you for asking. All Girls Allowed is a 10-year-old organization that was originally founded uh, to advocate against the one-child policy in China and the practice of gender side. Uh, which was happening largely in China through abortion, uh, especially when women and families found out that the woman was carrying a female child. Um, That policy was ended in China in about 2016. And so All Girls Allowed has, in the last year, pivoted to try to develop a platform that will help women and girls, but also all people, realize a more joyful life. And that has really worked out well in relationship with what's happening with online education, given COVID and 100% of education going online. What we are actually doing is building a platform that will serve content, resources, courses, podcasts, uh, articles, those kinds of um, items that people could subscribe and gain access to those kinds of materials and the the use and the application of those materials really helping them to realize a more joyful life, be it better relationships, be it learning more about God and the Holy Spirit, learning about how to apply your purpose in life, of the God-given purpose of your creation, being created into your work and your service, whatever it is, we're assembling resources to help people be able to consume those and apply them in their lives so that they can have a more fulfilled, joyful life. So does that focus uh international in its reach? Is it largely domestic? How do you... So the the work that we're doing with this platform as it starts out is, um, you know, domestic because it's for English language learners, but we certainly see the uh, potential for it to to be um, international. 
But then where our international reach comes in is to be able to have philanthropy that we're doing. And so through our philanthropy, we are implementing schools um, and running schools in Uganda and Rwanda that are really targeted in these nations to helping girls helping girls to be able to have an option for education as opposed to just being married off in their teenage years, as so often happens in developing countries. Uh, We are uh, uh, funding a women's empowerment center, for example, in India. Uh, So same kind of things, teaching women skills so that they are able to provide for themselves and for their families. And you mentioned uh, resources that are accessible on the platform. Are you also doing online education? Yeah, so, but what we want to be able to do is the platform, we want to make the platform available. So we really want to partner with churches, with uh, parachurch organizations, that these are not only the content providers, Um, So we're not creating the content, but making a place for that content to be made available and a relationship with those who might be consuming them. So, you know, working with, for example, an organization like ABHMS would be ideal because not only is ABHMS developing content um, in terms of podcasts and courses and, and, and content through Judson Press, for example, but ABHMS has a relationship to the more than 5,000 churches that are in the United States and Puerto Rico. So how wonderful to be able to have those kinds of partnerships. And that's what we want to really be able to increase, to make it easy for content providers to offer their content, to change the world, to have an impact for Jesus Christ. And just so our listeners are clear, when you reference ABHMS, of course, we're talking about the American Baptist Home Mission Societies and yes, of course. connection with American Baptist churches. It's exciting, exciting work. Thank you. Thank you for asking. So I want to turn to your article, uh, Constitutional Hermeneutics is the title. Um, and you write about the originalist interpretation of the Constitution that we heard uh, so much about during the recent nomination hearing of Amy Coney Barrett. And you quote Barrett, who in her hearing said, I interpret the Constitution as a law, and I interpret its text as text, and I understand it to have the meaning that it had at the time people ratified it. So that meaning doesn't change over time, and it's not up to me to debate or infuse my own policy views into it. You take issue with that interpretation. Um, Why? Well, it's a great question, and thank you for asking it. And and the way that I introduced my article kind of tried to demonstrate exactly what the issue was. Mm. That um, and, And the article starts out somebody complaining about a sore throat and um, going to the doctor. And what if the doctor suggested that maybe you needed bloodletting or, you know, your your humors were out of balance and 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 prescribed courses of action that might have been prescribed in 1799, for example, when George Washington complained about these same issues. Um, We would never try to treat people today using 
um, medicine or medical advances of 1799. So the idea that we're trying to interpret law through the lens of 1787 seems to me just as preposterous. And the, you know, so that's one aspect of it. The other aspect of it, especially as an African-American and as a woman, the constitution of 1787 completely disenfranchised me and those who looked like me or those whose gender was like mine. Because in 1787, enslaved Africans were three-fifths of a person. And in 1787, married women didn't have any rights, but their rights were subsumed by that of their husbands. So how do you interpret law that says I'm completely disenfranchised and that is supposed to be fair. That for me just, just doesn't add up. And you note that um, the goal of the framers of the constitution was a more perfect union, not a perfect union, but also that implies at the start as well, an ongoing struggle for improvement, does it not? I think exactly that's right. And that they, you know, did their best to provide a framework that would stand the test of time, that would be balanced and equitable. And I think that that, you know, that we've done that. I mean, ours, if 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 memory serves and history serves, is the longest standing constitution in the world that, you know, the framers did exactly what they set out to do. But the reason that it's had the kind of permanence that it's had is because it can evolve, because it can change and expand as we learn. And that's the beauty of the Constitution. And to say that we are not going to allow it to expand and change as our ideas change says that we create ourselves or paint ourselves in a box that means our constitution doesn't work for everyone. And it was supposed to work for everyone. Coming to this conversation as we do from a faith perspective, what I find uh, fascinating about how we interpret the law and the foundational documents like the constitution is that we do something with our own foundational texts like the Bible. I remember the caution I received from my old and New Testament professors in seminary, not not to eisegete a text, but to exegete a text, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously, we approach the Bible um, with eyes of interpretation shaped by our context and experience. Uh, but we have to try to understand Scripture in its in its context. We have to appreciate the text in its world before we apply it to our own. So I guess the question I'm wrestling with is, isn't that what an originalist is trying to do as they approach the constitution? Or is there a distinction you would make? Well, the way that I understood Amy Coney Barrett as she talked about being an originalist, and you read the quote, um, you offered the quote, that she's not trying to infuse her own policy views into it. I mean, which says to me, in my understanding, that I'm not trying to contextualize this text for 
modern application. And that is something that we do, I believe, in the hermeneutical analysis that we do as we preach. We absolutely have to understand the text in context um, for when it was written, but we are trying to lean and discern from the Holy Spirit. How then does that apply to our lives today? You know, and 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 again, I you know tried to do some kind of tongue-in-cheek ideas of. I don't believe that the Apostle Paul, for example, was endorsing enslavement, um, but rather was talking about a framework of accountability. How can I be accountable to you and you accountable to me so that we really are functioning as the body of Christ? To try to take him literally and apply it today would say that, you know, it, it, it would be like applying the 1787 Constitution um, that, you know, me and, and people like me are still enslaved, that women, especially married women, are still, you know, under the jurisdiction of their husbands with no property and ownership rights. You know, it's the same kind of false way of interpretation, in my opinion. In your article, you reference Second uh, Timothy and rightly dividing the word of truth. Um, there's also this aspect in which we need to be careful to always be interpreting and wrestling with Scripture, not simply as individuals, but as a um, as a community of faith. Right? First um, Timothy talks about. Uh, the church as a pillar and bulwark of the truth. So it's not simply the text that we wrestle with, but we wrestle with that text in a community with one another. Yes, we do. Yes, we do. And that, you know, and I, and I think that that's part of it as well. And I, th I think about, you know, and I, I mean, I don't think there's anything salvific about being Baptist or specifically American Baptist. But one of the things that I appreciate about my faith tradition, our faith tradition very much, is that idea as a covenant and covenanting community, we are trying to wrestle together to understand. I mean, there was a time when, um, you know, our, our churches, our American Baptist churches would not have believed a woman, you know, could could be the pastor. And as we've wrestled with that as community, as we've tried to um, discern the move of the Holy Spirit, as we've tried to recognize that that if God is not limited, why would we limit God by putting God in a box and saying God can only use certain people? Um, as we've tried to wrestle with that in community, we've opened our understanding and our application. So it's not to say that we've thrown out the scripture. It's that we are trying to apply it rightfully, rightfully dividing the word of truth to apply it in our lives. You have a chapter in the book, uh, In This Together, Ministry in Times of Crisis, which will be published this month by Judson Press. Yes, and in, congratulations. Sure. In that chapter, you write about the God who heals 
amid crises. How does crisis serve to sharpen what we already know about God? It's a great question. Um, you know, the the thing I th- I think and where the healing comes is recognizing that that the God who is with us in that crisis is faithful. That that God holds us, sustains us, keeps us, does not give us more than we can stand. That always, as as in First Corinthians chapter ten says that, that that there's always a way out. Is that chapter ten or chapter three? But there's always a way out. Whatever God gives us, that that God provides a way out for us. That we aren't crushed under the stress of that. And and I think that that is healing and restorative because God is with us in that. And in your work with All Girls Aloud and uh, thinking back on, on this year and the, and the difficulties that we've been through as a society, uh, as, a, as, a, as a planet, really, um, where and how do you see uh, God at work in the world today? You know, the, the work that I do, um, especially with our schools in Uganda and Rwanda has been amazing and I've I've learned a lot about faith and and walking in faith um, with those communities there were floods in Kasese Uganda in May and the schools had already been closed because of covid so the school was empty and then the floods came and more than 10,000 people in the village were displaced. And our director opened the school. And I, you know, sadly, was kind of horrified. I thought, oh my goodness, you know, our, our school is gonna become a refugee camp, which it did for nearly 600 people. And I knew that there'd be damage because you can't have 600 people in a, a school with 13 classrooms where there isn't damage. Um, and, and I thought, well, where will the money come? How will we put the school back in place? And how will we make this happen? And our director was like, well, God will provide. And, and it was stunning, you know, and, and, and I had to kind of step back and say, wow, you know, I really am thinking of this in terms of, you know, the, the, the human mind, the carnal mind that, the God who is able to do exceeding abundantly <laughs> does do exceeding and abundantly above all that we can ask or imagine. And so what did God do in that moment? The school was open. So 600 people were able to come and, and find a place of refuge. Um, the school was open. So not only were those people there, but because they were there, they got um, attention from the community, from from government, from other entities that might donate, and we were able to send tons of food, literally tons of food, to feed the families until they were able to leave. And then within weeks of getting the notification that schools could reopen in Uganda, they were able to find um, shelter 
and the camp was cleaned up and there was money to get the camp ready so that the school got approval. God completely provided. And, and it wasn't because we had a wonderful marketing campaign or we asked the right people for donations. It's because we trusted God. And, and I saw that firsthand. Wonderful. I want to thank you for taking the time to uh, be with us today. Thank you again for allowing me to come. You can find Deborah's latest article, Constitutional Hermeneutics, at ChristianCitizen.us. While you're there, be sure to subscribe to the Christian Citizen weekly e-newsletter to keep up with new content as it publishes. Last but not least, look for In This Together, Ministry in Times of Crisis, available November 23 from Judson Press. Thank you to this week's guest, Reverend Dr. Deborah Jackson. Our theme music is Believable Too by Peter Sandberg. The Christian Citizen is edited by Curtis Ramsey Lucas and is a publication of the American Baptist Home Mission Societies. The show, website, and newsletter are produced by myself, Joshua Kagi. Stories are copy edited by Hannah Estefanos. Our art director is Danny Ellison. The Christian Citizen editorial board is Dr. Jeffrey Hagre, Laura Alden, Susan Gottschall, Dr. Jeffrey Johnson, the Reverend Salvador Oriana, the Reverend Dr. Marilyn Turner Triplett, and the Reverend Cassandra Carter. Williams. And our advisors are Sherilyn Crow, the Reverend Kimberly Payton Jones, the Reverend Stephen D. Martin, the Reverend Marvin A. McMichael, and the Reverend Harold Dean. To learn more about The Christian Citizen, visit our website, christiancitizen.us. That concludes this episode of Justice, Mercy, Faith. We'll be back with a new episode next week. Thanks for listening.